0: This is the sixth James Bond-themed intro I've recorded for this podcast, and to be honest, I'm completely running out of puns, so this is all you're getting on today's episode of That Song From That Movie. Thank you for joining That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. Welcome back. This is part 2 of our look at the Bond songs of the 1980s. If you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to it now because it's not going to make any sense and Ben's going to jump into the next one right now.
1: Wait, you mean now? You mean now. <laughs> okay, cool. Moving on to the fourth James Bond film from the 1980s, The Living Daylights. Released in 1987, this is the 15th Eon Bond production and the first to feature the fourth James Bond, Timothy Dalton. John Glenn's back in the director's seat as he navigates us through KGB assassinations, shady American arms dealers, and a pair of Russian assassins. <laughs> <laughs> just feels like they've just picked like, the things that are in most Bond films.
2: I like how they've picked a pair there as well. A pair of... It's like...
1: It's just so one.
2: suggestive, just straight away. Let's just have just two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I did not know this, but Pierce Brosnan originally got the role at this point. As James Bond? Really? Yeah, apparently that I was reading about it. I did not know. So various people auditioned, including Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and another person who was very sought after,
2: Sam Neil, the Australian. Oh, that's it's interesting because like, Sam Neill and Pierce Brosnan him ahead of the same voice. Yeah, <laughs> I think Sam Neill would have been a pretty good Bond. Is that the guy from Jurassic
1: Park? Yes. And Sam Neill's Merlin. <laughs> do you know who the uh, the production team? I think it was MGM. Do you know who they wanted? Mel Gibson. Ooh. <laughs> interesting i like it <laughs> that would <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i would have got on with john barry yeah <laughs> very much so but apparently pierce brosnan because there was a lot of sort of publicity going on he was currently in a tv show called remington steel yes. um and the offer he was um his contract was extended with remington steel so the offer was pulled from bond and given to dalton in a three-movie deal which he famously only did two of. I think it's kind of spawned a bit of a different Bond, the sort of reluctant hero Bond. These these ones aren't actually a bit more gritty. You know, bye-bye, Roger Moore, <laughs> sorry. Did
2: you say For all Your Eyes Only wasn't gritty?
1: <laughs> I mean, compared to this, <laughs> this is the, uh, the the magnum compared to the Chalk ice that is For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> so yes, the song from the film The Living Daylights was The Living Daylights. By Norwegian pop band, Aha. I have to say because I'm in Norfolk. I mean, what do people think of this song? What song? It's so forgettable. I've already forgotten what the sentence is about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know, you're talking about the second biggest Aha song right now. Is it, is that actually true? Is it the second most successful Aha song? Apparently, they often cited it as this like their second most famous
2: song. I also use the word forgettable in my notes. <laughs> Although I, I did come around to it after a few plays to be fair but it, to me it just it just mostly reminded me of the superior song diamond lights by Glenn Holland and Chris Wong <laughs> which I think which I think maybe should have actually been the theme song and one of them should have been bond Kevin yeah Harris.
1: yeah <laughs> Fair. I mean, this. I feel this song is definitely one of those. There's so many buttons pressed on the synth keyboard. There's all sorts of little things flying about. But yeah, it did pretty well, and I think they wanted to return to, like, after the success of Duran Duran with A View to a Kill, they wanted something else. That and Aha, I think, had just released their first album, so they were quite popular. You know, Take on Me was massive. Yeah, got to number five in the UK charts. So you know, pretty good. Mm. But there's a sort of a a sorrow in my voice when I talk about this film, no, because no, no. don't say it. It's say it was it, it was bound to happen, guys. We we knew it was going to come. So the song and the soundtrack was the last to involve the work <laughs> no. of the
2: legendary John Barry. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. I actually didn't know it was go- that that was going to happen. It was I going to wait. Wait. It would go on forever. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll, I'll introduce why he wasn't in the next it's one, it tax and it wasn't, tax, it wasn't tax
2: <laughs> reasons.
1: He didn't get the triple-fet, the Shirley Bassey of tax reasons. So how will we <laughs> fluff up our runtime in the future without these John Barry anecdotes? I
0: will remember you <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> in the arms of an angel. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the song was written by John Barry, and I don't even know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to butch this. Pal... Wakta or Vakta, who is the guitarist from AHA, so I I guess a Norwegian name, apologies to our Norwegian contingent listeners. Of which there are many. Yes. Unsurprisingly to us all, AHA and John Barry did not collaborate well. They were not friends. (laughs) Resulted in two versions of the song. I hope there's a good one. Guess whose version made it to film? John Barry's. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Like
2: there was even a (laughs) conversation.
1: Aha released it on their album Stay on These Roads so their version went to their album. Uh, but in an interview the guitarist Paul Watter said he was quite a big fan of the John Barry version. They just said they yeah they had a few disagreements. You can kind of understand and I can imagine John Barry's reaction to this. So he said that Aha when they were they were quite efficient so when when it was like to write a song I think they were touring at the time and didn't want to interrupt touring to make the song so they just quickly did it. John Barry was also quite annoyed that they didn't want to go to the premiere. But they said he said in an interview, when we got the John Barry version, we felt there was a wrong note in the string arrangements, so we fixed it. But he didn't like that. <laughs> Not one bit. I can imagine that's quite annoying if you send someone <laughs> this oh, you know this piece of work, this piece of music, the legendary John Barry, and they, they return it back with the red marker through it.
2: That ain't going to sit right with John.
1: It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. This was the first film that had a different song on the title and ending cards. So they actually started to add, I think, a few more pop songs. If There Was a Man by Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, which is a song in the credits. Apparently it was originally picked for the theme, but again they thought Aha was doing so well in the charts at the time, they wanted a more successful artist. So yeah, they went with them. And it has not lasted that long in the memory. It's okay. I think it's quite synonymous of the
2: majority of these eighties bond songs definitely forgettable. I think i like, I had to the reason why I had to listen to it multiple times was because I kept forgetting how it went <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I was trying to sing it in my head and I just couldn't. there was like a little like funky like synth bass riff right at the beginning, which I quite enjoyed and actually my favorite thing about this song was in the title credits there's like a really cool like syncopated gunshot. Where oh, yes. it like, times yep. it with the music a few times Good one. And that's the uh, <laughs> That's the only thing I like about it, really
1: I think it was this one where they returned to Projecting the camera onto Women's bodies
2: Yes, They've it, returned it, to this There was a lot of risque There was a lot of a risque uh, boobage in this one <laughs> Yep, yep, <laughs> for lack of a better word As New York Times would refer to it
1: <laughs> Yeah, <and> they probably <laughs> loved this one Yeah, they probably did You ain't gonna get away with that New York Times We'll always
0: remember But yes not a very memorable Bond song. Do you get the impression that when they wrote this song, they realised right at the end that they needed to make them say The Living Daylights and just sort of shoved it into yes, the it definitely, chorus? Because yeah. it sounds like it's the backing vocals, but it's not supposed to be. And it takes an age to get to it. As well, <laughs> yeah, it really it?
2: does. It really does. Because I know when I've been reading about other ones, there's been conversations about when the name of the film was mentioned so that they could run it in line with the credits so that it would say it at the same time yeah thunderball was a big question yeah, for your eyes only was the, it was similar like they originally it was only the last line of the song and they moved it so it featured more often in, in the chorus so they rewrote it so that they could do it that way so it seems weird that with this one, it takes like t- two minutes to get to the style very weird yeah it's just a bit flat and i
1: wouldn't say that of the lead singer of aha because he can reach those notes
2: Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of sort of pitch change, isn't there, throughout the song. But I I felt like there could have been more vocal gymnastics going on, based (laughs) on what we know about Not just
1: the silhouette gymnastics that's going on, because there's also (laughs) a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if there's one thing that I don't often associate with the 80s, it is efficiency. So we had a film in 81, a film in 83, 85, 87. Now in 1989, right at the end, we have Licence to Kill. I think one of the best Bond films. James Bond ironically relinquishes his license to kill, disobeys orders and goes on a revenge mission when his friend's wife is killed by a drug baron. It's a bit different. I think this seems a bit more fitting with what I'd expect of the Daniel Craig films. Mm, it does definitely
2: does. Yes, it sounds like Quantum of Solace, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean that's not that's not a comparison you really
2: want to make. But is it is it actually in is it in Casino Royale where I feel like maybe there's a question about revoking his license to kill in that as well?
0: No, but being granted, he hasn't got it at the beginning of
2: that. Oh, so he actually gets granted it at the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's quite popular, that motif in the Daniel Craig films, that he, he's kind of a renegade. And I, is it, was it in Skyfall, where he basically fail, fails all the tests and they still put him out in the field, which is risky. Whereas I feel like with Roger Moore, you're just like, oh, Roger, <laughs> you silly goose, <laughs> and just let him go
2: and frolic and play and somehow he saves the world. But these ones are like, oh, fuck.
1: For God's sake, Bond, sort it out.
2: Dalton is kind of like your military hero kind of Bond, doesn't he? He feels yeah. like he's like Guns Ho type. Yeah. your action man Bond. Yeah, exactly. Yes,
1: it was. And I think Timothy Dalton, I think he wanted it to be more like the Ian Fleming novels, like the Bond in those, rather than this sort of camp Bond that was Roger Moore. <laughs> so yeah, Licence to Kill is famously the first Bond film in the series not to use a title from an Ian Fleming story. John Glenn was back.
0: I don't know if he ever left. Whoa, whoa, we can't just go past that. What was it from? Is it just made up?
1: Oh, uh, I think it was just made up, yeah. I, I didn't right. see it anywhere. Just,
0: just referencing yes. his license. Yeah.
1: And as we alluded to before, John Barry is no longer with us. He's not dead. <laughs> he's just no longer with us. Because he was undergoing throat surgery. Oh.
0: Likely in an exotic location. <laughs> Probably should just point out that if he has died now, you, you mean at the time? He is <laughs> not, died. yes, Yeah. is not, no. Uh,
1: not this time. He's, he's no longer. We'll give him now. his true eulogy when it comes, but not right now. Okay. The soundtrack was conducted by Michael Kamen. So Michael Kamen, previous to this film, had done soundtracks such as Die Hard and Leave a Weapon. Again, very action-heavy films.
2: Mm.
1: And afterwards, he went on to do such films as Die Hard Two and <laughs> Leave a Weapon Two. <laughs> <laughs> Alleeper <laughs> Weapon 3 and Alleeper we- He has also done other films he's quite a prominent composer I think he did like the X-Men films and you you go through he's done a lot
0: right he has some islands named after him too <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes yeah it's probably where John Barry was getting his surgery <laughs> <And> Michael Islands <laughs> So yes originally Eric Clapton and Vic Flick now that's a name isn't it Vic Flick Vic Flick. Flick Have you heard of that before No Well Vic Flick was the original Bond theme guitarist from Dr who did the thing? Oh. You know the theme. Uh, so they were originally approached to do the theme, to write it, to sing it. Right. It. <laughs> <To sing it. laughs> I was hoping someone was going to do it. However, the song License to Kill was eventually given to the Empress of Soul, as she is so titled Gladys Knight of Gladys Knight of the Pips. And was written by three people I have never heard of, uh, of which I will butcher some of these names Narada Michael Walden, Jeffrey Cohen, and the famous Walter. Afanasiyev, Afanasiyev.
2: <laughs> so, what do people think of this song? It's it's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like one of the best eighties ones. I don't think there's much arguing in that. But no. well, so are you going to argue with it? <laughs> no,
1: I'm just thinking. Do you think that's because of the nostalgia factor? Because it uses the horn from Goldfinger.
2: Yes. Well, that's one of, one of the things I'm going to say, referring back to my notes. I've just got. <laughs>
1: <it> with
2: <laughs> how many, have you written it
0: <laughs> I've written it be like triple U I Inception sound twice
2: <laughs> Inception. <laughs> yeah I think that's maybe it and it? it really harkens back to those original 60s ones rather than sort of trying to be contemporary like the other 80s ones and failing in most instances bar one possibly so yeah maybe that's why I like this one but I think it's definitely up there with the best ones of the 80s is that really a feat? yes no And no <laughs> I think as well that it doesn't just like I suppose maybe like you say if this one Harkens back to the old ones Because I was going to say that this one felt reminiscent of ones that followed it Like Golden Eye or World is Not Enough Sort of the late 90s noughties ones but I guess that's maybe because they're also trying to uh, echo back To those ones from the 60s as well So it seems like a lot of the time Eventually a song has to do that <laughs> Because they've got it wrong so many times <laughs> Yes, yeah
1: So if A View to a Kill is at the top of the Eiffel Tower and Rita Coolidge is in the Parisian Underground... I'd say she's probably not even in Paris. <laughs> she might not be in Cali. <laughs> where, does this, where does this song fit? Is it nearer the top or is it just better than that sort of pool? This feels like a big sell
2: for your top five.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. It really is not.
2: <laughs> is it Eiffel Tower-based? <laughs> I was actually that was an actual actual question. The five best shops in the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower
0: gift shop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's number one. Hey, my my top five to come is an official is an official list. Yeah, it's not ridiculous. of getting laughed at by
2: everyone. I'd I'd say, Ben, to answer your question, that it's probably somewhere. If, if 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 yeah, it depends what we mean by the top of the Eiffel Tower. Do we mean the top like tier, or do we mean like the actual? Oh, no, point? no, it's like at the point.
1: <laughs> so like say, so if you the,
2: the point. Rita Coolidge's Calais. Yeah, Rita Coolidge's Calais. Sheena Easton kind of is sort sort of like the uh Shaumps is. Yeah, so um, it's, oh, it's getting closer. You can actually see the top. Yeah, you can see that tower. So, but we're not we're not we're not near that close to it. I would say that this is it's definitely somewhere on the tower. Okay, so like
1: ticket collection, that sort of thing?
2: Or like cafe it's, first floor?
0: It's the glass floor bit of the first yeah. tier. Oh
2: nice, nice. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: I think Gladys Knight would take that as well, because I don't think she'd climb too high anymore. I don't know if she's alive. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, this was also a top 10 single in the UK, so it did well, and I think a part of that must be the nostalgia factor. Not many facts about this song, I must say. Scouring the internet, it seems to be very middle of the road. The only fact I have, which is a pretty good fact, is that it is
0: officially the longest on theme. At 5 yeah. minutes and 13 seconds. It is very long. Listening to it in the car. And I was thinking at one point, how is this still going?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But one of the things I think is like quite a strength of this song is repetition. So it actually makes sense that it's yeah. five minutes long. Yep. Yeah. Like how many times do you hear License to Kill? And specifically, to kill. <laughs> you <just laughs> yeah. hear it over and over again in the song. And I never get bored of it.
1: <laughs> no, no. And yeah, I think it's a good song. It's just compared to the 80s stuff, it makes it much easier to yeah. hold it
2: up. I think overall, when I read the title of the film, I was like, I don't know that one straight off the top of my head, which no. maybe says a lot about it. But I don't yep. know if that's just because the Dalton films kind of do get forgotten a bit. I yeah, feel I think that's a shame
1: months. though, because I think they are better. Um, yeah. Especially compared to the Roger Moore ones. I think the Roger Moore ones are very watchable. You can just stick them on in the background. Yeah, you don't they, just, they were just throwing in all sorts of things going on. Whereas I think they tried to ground The
0: Dalton ones a bit more, before Brosnan went full action hero. (laughs) I think this song specifically has one thing about it that none of the other Bond songs really quite have. And that is, when you do the song at karaoke, you actually want to be the backing vocals. (laughs) Yeah, I go with that. I don't think any other Bond song has that, unless you can correct me. Uh... I mean, nobody wants to be singing that terrible Sam Smith song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you, you want to be the backing vocals as in not standing up and singing at all.
2: <laughs> no <laughs> one wants to touch that. <sighs> it just annoys me, that song. Well, I'll talk. we'll talk about that
1: song in, in when it comes around, but my good. Good God, Sam. Which does bring me quite nicely into my top five. Let's do it. Now, I've slightly cheated and I've done a top six. Ooh. But it can still be a top five. With honourable mention. It's six because of the six bonds. Alright, okay. Now, this is a factual list. And by factual, I am really using that very loosely because when I looked (laughs) this up in many places, there was a lot of differing facts about this. So I have stuck with one source and no arguments. Thank you very much. So, because of the Timothy Dalton films, and I was quite a big fan and I was reading up them, and they they seemed a bit more gritty, a bit more real, and a bit more sort of darker. But I wondered, Timothy, are you killing more people? So I wanted to know which James Bond. On average, because it's unfair to think of them as just for their films, which James Bond, at an average, actually proven kills the most people. So Jeez. I ask you, gentlemen, top six, put them in order. Ooh. So is this killed on screen? or are we Yeah, so to it's, like proven, it's like proven. It's like proven. So if they blow up a warehouse, you don't know how many people are in there. Unless they right, go, the oh my house. gosh, you
0: killed 18 people. You specifically killed 18 people, James Bond. <laughs> <Yes>. Damn, <laughs> I wish it was on? 20. I can't believe we have to organise eighteen funerals. <laughs> that's a good name for a Bond film.
2: Eighteen, 18 funerals. funerals. <laughs> go on then, guys. Oh god, this is
1: really hard, actually. Yeah. And it's average. Go, let's isn't go it? the let's go to the extremes first. Who do you think's
2: killed the most? Who do you think's killed the least? I was thinking Brosnan might killed the most, but I was thinking Moore's killed the most. Moore. I was thinking Moore maybe the least though. That's the thing. Although,
0: actually, no, probably George Lazenby will be the least because he average on average. average. Yeah, but like, so his I, average could be really high. Compa- no, no, there's no it could dragging be, it down. It could be ten. <laughs> That's true. Actually, there's yeah. no romantic comedy <laughs> pulling him down. I, I mean, and does uh, Bond's wife count in that one? Does, <laughs> does he kill her? Oh wait, does it have to be specifically Bond kill? I yes, Bond, yeah, kills. Bond, no, kills, Bond kills. No, uh, yeah, Bond kills. Yeah, I thought you meant like just deaths in Bond. No, films. no, no, no. Uh, killed by Bond. Because right. I think I think Brosnan
2: maybe goes like does kill quite a few. That's that was my thought, but then you said with you saying Timothy Dalton maybe uh, being the more military man, maybe he does as well. I w- I would say that more would be the, the law, more and maybe would be the lowest, but that's okay. my thought. Maybe Craig, Daniel Craig, seems to kill a lot, doesn't he? Or does he? He seems to beat <laughs> up a lot of people. He seems to beat up a lot of people. I don't know necessarily yeah, kills as much people.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. Casino Royale. How many people does he actually kill?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking Craig's going to be quite low. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe Sean Connery is quite high. Maybe, they, maybe they upped the deaths at the beginning. But I, I'm sticking with Brosnan because I think the '90s was a big time for deaths on TV and film.
1: So Dietrich, give me, run me through, quickly off your head. I know you're under pressure, but we're doing
0: it this way. Top six. Okay, I'll go. Craig at the bottom. Yep. Oh, now I'm now Alex. You've sort of changed my opinion here. I got Connery, Dalton, Lazenby, Moore, and then See Brosnan at the top. The and Brosnan, Brosnan, where you got Brosnan? Uh did I say him second? that's in third, but only because I think the Lazenby single film factor is going to mess up the averages. Zero.
2: None right. None right. Surprise. So so I'm I, I think that Lazenby will be bottom as in the okay. least. Okay. Um yeah. and I think it's gonna then be Daniel Craig. So cause he obviously can't be because got that wrong. Then it's gonna be Roger oh, yeah. Moore. You've got then, a bit of an advantage here. Then Sean Connery, then then uh, Piers Brosnan.
0: Also, zero.
1: <laughs> no, no. He has got three. I think Alex. Ooh, because Piers Brosnan is the most. Yeah, on average, twenty-seven kills per film. Twenty-seven kills on average. Yes, just so per film. Yeah, it's quite a high. Per
2: it's quite a high. It's
1: quite a high batting average.
2: I did feel like though there's a lot of death in his films. Like he does yes, seem to be killing is. people constantly.
1: Don't you remember the start of Die Another Day when he's in the? Uh, he's on the, the like that tank
0: that that's tank. floating on the on the ground. Yeah, that was my thought process. He's always driving a tank. <laughs> but how many of those are confirmed kills? And how many of those are just people flying in the air? Like superhero landing and then coming back for bonding. Take it up film? with Time
1: Magazine, D. Okay. <laughs> I will. No more interruptions. Brosnan first, 27. Second, Roger Moore with 16.6. Third, Daniel Craig with 15.3. Fourth, Connery with 12.5. Fifth, Dalton with 10. And last, Lazenby, Lazenby. With five. A mediocre five. Come on, Lazenby. I feel vindicated that I got the top and bottom correct. Yep, I'm looking at the Bond kill count and I think it's been <laughs> there's a big skew here. Apparently, Roger Moore kills 59 people in Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he only kills one in The Man with the Golden Gun. Is that Scaramanga? Uh, it must be Clay. It's been a long time I've seen it. Uh, and he kills most people in Bond films by... Blowing them up, uh, and has killed 122 people
2: midair. <laughs> Back to you, Dietrich. I love that. That's a
0: great fact. Killed 122 <laughs> mid air.
1: I don't know if that's his midair or if the villain's midair.
0: <laughs> oh, I assume the person he was shooting at. Well, the I image the next to it.
1: The image next to it is him on skis flying. So yeah, which I
2: think is is that a view to a kill? Many films. I
0: swear. he's also there's one of the Pierce Brosnan ones where he's on skis. Anyway, back to you, Dean. Thank you very much, Ben. So now it's time to move on to the sort of question of best and worst. We generally do best first, and now is no time to change that. <laughs> Alex, what is the best James Bond song of the 1980s?
2: <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any surprises here. That I'm guessing we're all going to save you to a kill. It's the best one. I think "License to Kill" is decent, but I, what I like about "View to Kill" is that it's kind of very much his own Bond song. I feel like it's not taking much from other songs that have come before it. It's kind of just, but probably because of the story you described here, where they just threw stuff at it and, and saw <laughs> <so> what happened. <laughs> but it just, I just, it just works, and it's just like a cool song. And I like that it's it's more up tempo, but it's not it's not so eighties like, say, like "View your Eyes Only," is where it's a bit stripped back. It's it's kind of all guns blazing. I think View to a
1: Kill is helped by it just being, it just sounding like a Duran Duran song. And I think just slowing the tempo down a little little bit works. And yeah, it's easy. And maybe, maybe it helped them being so drunk that they were just like, oh, crap, and just did what they normally do. And didn't try to be fancy or anything. And yes, it is miles better than everything else in the 80s.
2: Not just in the film, just in the 80s in general as a period. I think, I think actually what you said there, Ben, is quite funny as well, because I think the only thing that really makes this a Bond song is the, the occasional throwing of a da 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 which it reminds me of like E17 and the uh, <laughs> Stay Now with the bell, Christmas Bells in the background. It's like they've just done the normal song with the Christmas Bells in the background, and that's what this feels like. Made them a
0: career. Yeah, it's a clean sweep. You've got to go for a view to a kill. I think you are right in saying that the reason why this is the best song, maybe similar to Live and Let Die, is where it just works as a song in its own right. And it also has elements that make it a Bond song. Mash that all together, and you've got yourself smash it sort of thing. Maybe we were in the thought for- that's the formula. You're listening, Sam Smith.
2: <laughs> this is what you should have done, Sam Smith.
0: You should have just let Conchita sing it. <laughs> Would have been so much better. Although that was actually the Adele one, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. They should have got should have got Conchita for the next one. I think not only is *A View for a Kill* a worthy winner, it's also nice to sign off with a John Barry win. Oh yeah. And I'm sure a post hummus. Uh, award from that song from that movie for the, the best James Bond song of the 1980s it's just what his family won so this one's <laughs> for you guys <laughs> so now it's time to move on to the one that has a few more contenders with the worst song so Ben what is the worst James Bond song of the 1980s
1: yeah I feel I feel quite bad uh, on Rita Coolidge saying she's over in Calais because I think actually listening to them back I think Sheena Easton's is worse <laughs> <laughs> Because at least I can, I know I can sing the song from Octopussy, so yeah, I'd actually put Sheena down at the bottom. She's going south. She's going south.
2: I like to think that your karaoke song is all-time high <laughs> from Octopussy. <laughs> I wish I could hit those notes. I was thinking of probably going to be one of the first two, but actually I don't know if it's just because they were my choices so I've listened to them all, but I've kind of grown fond of them over the past <laughs> week. <laughs> so think, actually, that what I'm going to put as the worst is The Living Daylights because... I think it should have probably been better. And it, I, feel, I feel like coming off the back of a View to a Kill, they should have realised that what they should really do is their own thing and just put a few James Bond sounds in the background. probably <laughs> would have made a much better song. So yeah, I think for the fact that it should have been better, The Living day, the living Daylights. And, and it's not as good as Diamond Lights, as I said, which probably should have been in its place as the James Bond theme.
0: And has the word lights in it already. I'm torn on this one because The Living Daylights... Is forgettable, but for your eyes only, and all time high, and not good. But what is it? Is that a better thing? Is it better to be bad than yes, and be memorable than be forgettable but average? That that to me is the that's the question. That's the conundrum. (laughs) I'm going Living Daylights. I'm going to go in Living Daylights just because, as you said, almost you you almost have to rate on a curve because it should have been better with aha and following the formula being set by Duran Duran. I guess I suppose with the first two, with your eyes only an all-time high, and especially off the back of Moonraker not being well-received, they were still trying to find a new formula. They were still, still experimenting to an extent in the same I like area. the idea of those two songs being described as experimental. <laughs> well, I mean, can you imagine Moonraker with a saxophone? I don't think you can.
2: <laughs> I th- just for that sax note, that's why I couldn't possibly pick Sheena. Because just that sax tone, it's just... I, 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 that is song is going around in, in my head. It's in Rita's bit, song? It's in... Oh, is it, Re, is it Re, oh, Rita's is all with the sax? <laughs> they, if, both... if
1: this isn't telling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was... Oh, no, it's not that one with the sax. That's the one with the pulsing, like, uh, 80s... Uh... Like the, the heartbeat. Heartbeat, yeah, sorry. Either of They're
0: both great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not. That's why they're in this discussion for the worst song of the 1980s. Yeah. So I guess on a two... Two to one, that's Living Daylights, in air quotation, winning that award. <laughs> uh-huh, the award is in the post. Oh, and there's that ding to end the show. That's a sad sound, I know. <laughs> so thank you for joining us uh, on another episode. If you want to share this on the Sheena Eastern subreddit, go for it. I'm sure it's, it'll be well-received.
1: <laughs> this subreddit is...
0: <so> <laughs> so, uh, I like this running, running joke. Don't take this away from me, Ben. <laughs> If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that by following us with our handle being what, Alex? T-S-F-T-M-Pod.
1: That's okay.
2: Yeah, that was, that was bad. <laughs> it's because I, I read it, I said it earlier, I had it in my
0: notes. Not for that reason, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's golden notes. Right, so let's do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Uh, one one of these times, I'm going to have to do it where I do end it like a QI episode and end it with like a really odd quote that doesn't fit. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've got one of those. All right, so we're not doing any bye at the end of this. It's just going to end as Ben says his thing. Ready? <laughs> okay, so, Alex, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I thought you were going to say your thing. <laughs> oh, I <I'm> must <laughs> still say my thing? Sorry, I thought you were yeah. having an answer. Uh, as Rita
2: Coolidge once famously sang, I'm in so strong and so deep. And to end the show,
1: it's goodbye from Ben. The foundation of morality is to have done once and for all with lying. That's a quote by John Barry, author of The Great Influenza. Not the actual John Barry, but I googled John Barry quotes and that's what came up.
0: (laughs) All right, there you go. That's the end of the episode. (laughs) What, (laughs) a strange way to end it? (laughs)